with our hearts made ready. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in the 17th verse as we come to our second reading this morning. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, sisters and brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord the word of the Lord amen when the movie the passion of Christ was released I was living in Southern California And Joy and I attended the film at a place called City Walk, not far, not far from where we lived. A place that we would frequent often, full of restaurants and lights, and it was just a lot of fun. I don't know what it was like around the country at the time, but I can tell you that as that film was being released, although there were many churches and Christians that were excited about and anticipating uh, this film, during the Lenten season, to become acquainted again in a vivid way with the passion of Christ. There were many more who were nervous and tense. You could read about it in the newspaper there in L.A. You could read it in the trade journals about uh, what they call the industry. You can read about it. Uh, in just about every magazine that seemed to be coming out locally, and you could hear about it in the news and the evening news, people were worried that uh, this film might cause a stir, that maybe it was too graphic, or, or maybe it would point too many fingers, or maybe it would, if you can believe it, promote hatred. There were tensions, and there were fears. We were blessed to go on that evening to 
see the early release of the film with other church leaders. And we brought with us one of our neighboring friends, a rabbi in a local synagogue who was, as he shared with us, a little nervous about the film himself. Now, I'm not a film critic, although everyone who lived in L.A. always thinks they are, but the story I tell today is not about how well this film was made, but it was clearly, and as we sat in that theater that night, about how people responded to what Christ had done. It was a silent theater. It seemed quieter than normal. There was no chit-chat as that film went forward. The only thing you heard from the audience occasionally was some crying and some weeping. And as was the custom if you went to a film in that area of the country, people would often stay for the credits and applaud often knowing a friend or a family member listed there. But on this occasion, as if it was pre-planned, but it wasn't, as the film came to an end, not one of us said a word. It was silent. There was no post-film commentary. It was absolutely silent. There was not an applause for the credits. People just sat without saying a word, and then got up and left the theater without saying a word either. And I remember being shocked by the stark contrast of what we had just seen and all those lights there in City Walk. Many of us walked out of that theater that night in humble adoration for what our Lord had done for us. And some of us walked out confused, thinking it seemed crazy that this was the centerpiece of the Christian faith. In fact, that rabbi I told you about ended up spending a couple hours in our office digging in, if you can believe it, into the Gospels to find out what he'd seen. I'll tell you this. By encountering the passion The crowd, myself included, were stunned by its magnitude once again. And isn't it interesting that even a film depicting not much more than the passion of Christ right there on the cross would cause so much controversy and stir so many emotions and offend so many people Oh, so many centuries after it had taken place. For the word of the cross is folly, foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Paul writes in Corinthians today. You know, There are two kinds of people that walked out of that theater. Those who confirmed and affirmed and received that gift and those who thought it was nuts.
You see, if Jesus were just a good teacher, if Jesus was just putting out a list of morality that you and I were to follow, it might feel good, right? I mean, after all, it makes sense. He's a good teacher. He's got a good list. Puts me in the driver's seat. Puts you in the driver's seat. We own our own destiny. But if that was all that Jesus was, then we would have never needed the cross. And if Jesus was just a social activist for compassion, not unlike our pop culture today describes him as, that teaches that everyone is good and it's all good. That even feels good, right? And it kind of assages some of the guilt of some of the ways that we know that we're broken. But if that were true, then we wouldn't have needed him to go to the cross either. But the truth is, and history agrees, and our faith confesses, Jesus did go to the cross. Because he proclaimed something more than morality. Something more than just acceptance. He proclaimed that he is God. And the power of God was shown that Good Friday through weakness. The triumph of God was shown that day not through victory, but through loss. Jesus was the true wisdom and power of God. And what Paul is doing here is he's contrasting the wisdom of God with the wisdom of the world. You see that word wisdom show up quite a bit in our reading in 1 Corinthians today. Listen close, don't miss this. A Jesus without a cross might feel good. It might even fool you. Whole denominations in recent years have tried to soothe the shock of it all. The same shock we felt even 2,000 years later in that film. That belief that we don't need the cross. That belief that Jesus just came to soothe us with morality or compassion. And although He came with those, He did so much more. The belief that we can live without the cross will lead to despair. The belief that we can live without the cross, well, we might have some comfort in the short term. In the long end, it will lead to depression. A path without the cross of Christ, will welcome you to the very gates of hell. Now look, I know the cross doesn't seem all warm and fuzzy today. And I know many of us, many of us came to worship today seeking peace after a hard and painful week. But if we're to receive the peace of God today, then we also have to hear the truth of God's Word. And that Word, friends, that cross, that foolish truth, the power of God, does, in fact, bring peace. 
And so Paul contrasts the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the religious elite who achieve their way to salvation, or the religious uh, doers, or the Gentiles, the Greeks that he was mentioning, who were seeking wisdom and knowledge and perfection in their culture. He says, neither one of those paths will lead to God. Neither one of those paths will lead to salvation. We have some of those same paths today. Executive consultant Mary Bell says that achievement is the new alcohol of our age. The new drug. I think it's one of many I think we wrestle with. But an achievement addict is no different than any other kind of addict. And the thing about an addict is it's never enough. And the truth of the matter is is that we could never achieve enough to get ourselves to God. Then there's the other side of the coin. The imminent frame. That's what philosopher Charles Taylor calls it. Who describes our culture as one who believes that we no longer need God. A culture that believes in a, a framework that is outside of God. That our human wisdom and our human flourishing is all our culture says we need. And if we err in either one of these arenas, then we miss the peace of God poured out to us and for us on the cross. When we trivialize sin, whether it's ignoring it or calling it by another name, then we in effect say to Jesus, I don't much need you. So either we reject the cross through our own achievements or we reject it through our own wisdom. But we are tempted ever still to reject it. The book of Lamentations says this, Is it nothing to you all who pass by? That was posted on a cross near the college I went to every Lent. Does it matter to you, all you who pass by? It's a question for us still today. Does the cross matter to us who pass it? by. N.T. Wright wrote in his Lenten devotions this year about an archbishop who recalls three young lads who came to the confessional booth, but they came with a plan. They thought it would be hilarious if one after another they shocked and awed the priest with outrageous sins, outdoing one another, one after the other. Now, the priest, being wise and experienced, figured out pretty quickly what was going on. And those first two lads, they got away. But the third boy, as they were leaving the confession booth, the priest chatted with him and said, I think I know what's going on here. You need to do some penance. I want you to go to the back of the sanctuary. There's a, a painting of Christ on the cross. I want you to go for your penance, and I want you to say three times, you did this for me and I don't care that much of it. And so that boy went obediently to the back of the sanctuary, went to that vivid painting of Christ on the cross 
and began to recite these words. But by the time he got to that third rendition, he couldn't say it any longer. As he looked at Christ on the cross again, he realized who he was and what God had done for him. And so the tears began to flow. And so you and I are invited once again today to not trivialize that which God has done. He takes sin so seriously that he went to the cross. And he invites us to move beyond just seeing the cross and saying, oh, I see what you've done for me, but I don't think too much of that. To being reminded of the power of God found there. Verse 23 says in the reading today, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. Because the cross is offensive. It reminds us that our sin can never be excused. But in verse 30 today, we hear that that sin is covered by giving us the gift through the cross of Christ's righteousness Himself. We attain the pardon we can't get on our own. The cross is offensive because the world says we need to earn what we get. But Christ, verse 30 says, is our sanctification. He is the one that makes us holy. We don't do it on our own. The cross is offensive because someone has to pay for this evil that's been done in this world, right? But verse 30 says that Christ is our redemption. He has paid the price for us. And so we're asked, is it nothing to you all who pass by? The cross of Christ reminds us like that boy whose tears welled up that Christ is sufficient. It was in this reality that an expression of the very wisdom of God is revealed to us in the cross. Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 6 says, We know that our old life died with Christ and on that cross so that our sinful selves would have no power over us. The cross of Christ regenerates us because of what Jesus has done. Verse 31 reminds us, and this is nothing that we can boast of. It's the gift of the gospel. The good news is that God has done this for all of us to receive the peace of God. You know, my natural inclination is to achieve it myself. But I fall short, and so we have to nail that to the cross. My natural inclination, probably like yours, is to get back at you if you do wrong me. And there again, I fall short. We have to nail that to the cross. Our natural inclination is to circle back again and again over past failures and beat ourselves up for all that we've done. There too, we nail it to the cross. Our natural inclination is... One pastor put it is to go over that pain a thousand times over. And every time we think of it again, it, it, it hurts again. What my dad did, what my brother did, what my mom did, what my husband did, what he did, what she did. And every time I think about it, it still hurts. Yes, even that can be nailed 
to the cross. For the power of the cross is the very gift of God. The cross tells us that we are justified, we are sanctified, and we are redeemed in Christ. And we no longer have to live under the power of guilt or grudges. Instead, we live under the grace that came at the foot of the cross. For the word of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God for His baptized children. And all of those in Christ now know this very gift of grace. That's the promise of God sealed on the cross of Christ forever.